0: I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Welcome back.
1: Tyler, good to see you. Can you believe we are at the last episode of season one?
0: I cannot believe we've made it through an entire season.
1: I know. It is a shorty. The six episode season is uh, is tight. But uh, yeah, we've made it.
0: Yeah, it's really short for a first season, isn't it? Or maybe this, I don't know any, again, we still have not, or I have not done any like backstory or history. So I don't know whether it was like a mid-season ad or something or whether they were just like, we'll do this tentatively. I mean, it was based on the British show. And did the British show have more than one season? I can't believe we don't know this. Do you know?
1: (laughs) I can't remember, but I think it's short. I don't think it has that many episodes and I think it's fairly short. And I think maybe this is something interesting about our approach, is that we know nothing about the surrounding information. Um, We don't know often what the actors' names are. I would notice sometimes we're like, oh yeah, the actor who plays whoever. Like we, you know, we're not really that into the outside context. We're really doing the deep internal dive into the text itself does this
0: prove that we're close readers at heart we're not historicists we're just like formalists you know we this
1: is (laughs) get into the real literary jargon here. yeah
0: well you know i feel like that's what people listen to us for is like the literary studies okay i'm quickly googling so the office british version uh was only two series two seasons i guess Mm -hmm. each of those had six episodes um Then there was a two episode Christmas thing. And then they did a revisited episode, which I guess maybe was like a, you know, a little mini movie almost or something. But anyway, so six episodes, similar. It'd be interesting if they were trying out like a a British structure for an American audience. Like, um, you know, I mean, it definitely is the case that increasingly like we're getting shorter and shorter seasons. Like, I think, like, what we do in The Shadows, I think, has, like, 10 episodes. Like, It's Always Sunny is down to, like, maybe 10. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, back in the day, you'd get, like, 25 episodes in a season. Yeah. Is that what we're looking ahead to for the next um, Office seasons?
1: That is what we're going to be looking ahead to. Yeah, there are more full seasons going forward. So, I don't know if it was, um, you know, I know I have have heard them talk about in interviews or something. you know, about it being sort of constantly uncertain at this point, whether it was going to get picked up and whether um, NBC would want another season. And so, you know, maybe it was just not fully committed kind of at this point. Right. And I'm talking based on basically no knowledge. So we're starting from a foundation of ignorance here.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a it's a speculative history. I enjoy that. It's like, <laughs> well, what... what? what might be true i mean <laughs> yeah greg also had a short first season if i recall as well like um but yeah um i i it's strange to think of this as a season like mm-hmm. like what is I a se- a think i feel as if a season nowadays is supposed to have some kind of like coherent arc or whatever and I'm not sure that this did. I mean, they, they had the downsizing plot and that does not get mentioned at all. Like, this is not like a conclusion or a climax to anything really. Um, on the other hand, that's kind of refreshing in a way. It's like not really about the plot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It really isn't about like nothing ties up. There isn't really any kind of arc that's completed. And, uh, i don't know I
0: wonder if that's we'll have to talk about if this was the final episode like if there were never any more episodes after this like the final oh episode is like uh jim gets a girlfriend question <laughs> mark like that's the climate that
1: actually so interesting to think about <laughs> wow okay i really really like that thought i'm gonna try and withhold you know the knowledge that it comes back
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah another season um yeah. So how, how are you feeling in your your transition into The Office fandom? Semi-fandom?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So it's been a few minutes since uh, we've recorded
1: mm-hmm.
0: to give everybody a little bit of backstory. And uh, so, and so it's been even longer since I've watched an episode of The Office. Really, or, I mean, I guess the last time I rewatched an episode was when we recorded, but it felt like a while. And um, so watching this episode, I was it was really interesting to me because the cringe factor, the discomfort I felt was back to a hundred. So I felt like when we started the podcast, I was at that place and then I binged a bunch of the show. Cause I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so fun. And we'll record all this very quickly. And um, you know, that's not how life works. And, uh, but I got used to it. I was like, oh yeah, these characters, I know they're my friends. You know, I live in this little world. <laughs> Um, and now that I've left it and came back, I was like, oh God, it's so painful to watch. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I had to keep pausing it. It took forever for me to watch this episode. So, um, so wow. I guess I'm back to zero in terms of my fandom, but maybe, but maybe you will it'll rekindle.
1: I'm fascinated by this and I'm really excited then as we get into it to hear, um, what were those, yeah, like what, what those moments were for you that felt so particularly painful. So maybe as we, as we discuss it, those things will come up.
0: What about you? Are you, where are you at with, um, the office in your head? Do you have any office, uh, related news or thoughts or reflections?
1: Hmm. For me, just really enjoying it, getting through season one again. I feel like I, I just keep appreciating it. Um, So I listened to this or listened. I watched twice, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to kind of get into it and have some time to think about it. And I just really appreciated it. Like there, there are a lot of things I find where I think, Oh, I don't have, I don't know if I have anything really to talk about about this particular moment, except that I think it was great. (laughs) I think think that, line and the writing was great and yeah yeah you know so i can just just sit and go on about that so we might we might end up having some opposing feelings then oh interesting the so you know it can it can get uh it could get a little intense that way
0: Maybe that's what, you know, our final season episode should be like, yeah, where we really, we really diverge and it gets, it gets heated, you know? Yes,
1: it gets heated. We'll hash it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, should, should we um, do summary? it? Yeah, let's do it.
1: Yeah, okay. So let me give you the NBC summary of our episode titled Hot Girl. Michael bends his policy against vendors in the workplace when an attractive woman shows up to sell handbags so Tyler Adams, Amy Adams, Amy Adams, yeah, where do you want to begin, uh,
0: well, let's see, um, oh, I don't know, maybe, well, the opening scene, I was trying to remember if we met Jan in person, I can't recall if we've met her yet, but anyway, she's on the phone, and I just really enjoy the character of Jan, like, in the entire show, so I was very excited, for Jan's brief appearance here. But what really cracked me up was the um, Michael trying to give himself the thousand dollar incentive um, yes. reward. And she's like, well, you can't give it to yourself. And he's like, I, I didn't mean me. I don't know why that just really made me laugh.
1: Yes, yes, that was perfect. That was perfect, Michael. And I think I think we've seen Jan come in once because I remember her sort of power Skirt suit. Oh yes, it was like it was black. I think she had a blue shirt or something, white shirt. Can't remember. Doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's nice we kind of get her back. We get her on the phone, and this episode has made me think about what it's saying about all these interactions with women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. really get it because it's starting on that phone call. And at the beginning, Michael is just not listening to Jan. You know, he's like setting all these pencils up, like a little pencil fortress in his keyboard, I think. And uh, Jan Jan asks him um, to repeat. She's like, what did I just say, Michael? And he does this like shuffling of his papers go back through his notes and cover it up. And so you can just kind of feel her frustration dealing with him there to start us off
0: yeah well i did feel like oh wow this episode is really about um microaggressions based on you know like like i was gonna say sexism and it is that but it's like all this it's basically like sexual harassment non-stop right you know and, <laughs> okay. but like i i just yeah i was just really interested in how those dynamics are like navigate like I really felt for Amy Adams's character Mm -hmm. having to like sort of deal with all of um Michael's advances and all of the discourse around her and about her body and all of that and um yeah yeah, it kind of some of that stuff took me back to diversity day Mm -hmm. um and I maybe that's partly why it was so cringe inducing was just like how uncomfortable it made her which made yeah. me really uncomfortable. And then similarly, like we're seeing not only what Pam goes through all the time, but now like she's being compared to this other woman. And mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So I love that you made that point. Cause it really, you're right. It is an episode very much about kind of like um, women in the workplace or, or, or men's yeah. relationship yeah. to straight men's relationship to women uh, in the workplace.
1: Can we talk about that thing with uh, Katie and Pam because it made me you just made me think back to the moment when Pam says, um, "It's nice having Katie around. It's another person for Michael to um interact with." yeah." <laughs> and she gives this great little smile after that. And one of the things that really fascinated me about this episode is the way that, on the one hand, for Pam, there's some relief in getting out of, having to deal with Michael all the time. Yeah. And we can see how, you know, just persistent and obnoxious that kind of behavior is. And yet at the same time, those comparisons also have this really painful side. Yeah. So when the moment that stands out to me so much is when um, Michael comes out and he says, to Katie, wow, look at you. You're like the new and improved Pam. Yeah. Pam 6.0. And it's so bad, but it also, I hesitate to say this, but let me explain. I think it's so right when Uh he says the new and improved Pam, Pam 6.0. And clearly these are both beautiful actresses um, there's no, I think, kind of like clear or natural hierarchy between these two. But I do think the way that they're set up in the show, there is this clear right. Pam Pam 6.0, and partly because not of just how, how they kind of naturally look, but the signifiers of hotness yes. that are attached to Katie and not to Pam. You know, so like with the type of shirt that they're wearing, yep. with the way that their hair is done. You know, Pam's is the sort of uh, more natural looking, you know, the way the curls turn out when you kind of shower and put mousse on it and let it air dry. Mm -hmm. And Kate has the kind of hair that's like straightened and then curled, you know, Mm. and flowing curls. Just all those things that kind of um, seem to fit this like category of, of hotness or like those signs of beauty. So does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Is this really offensive?
0: Do no. I take- well, I mean, I definitely I don't think it's offensive. I think I mean, you're not saying it's a good comparison. <laughs> you're not saying we should
1: <laughs> not endorse You're not asking
0: me which one is the really hot one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was also think well, I was thinking first like, okay, cuz I love that you bring up this point about um the signifiers of hotness because i was like huh like it's so weird to like how i feel like it's a very 2000s thing that Mm -hmm. at least i grew up with in which like hot meant you know sexy or you know attractive or whatever and i don't know how much that is still the like language (laughs) that people would use to -hmm. describe somebody who looks really good um so i was just interested in that like that you know um I don't I wouldn't say that it's anachronistic but like it just felt like very much of its moment and um so then how they signify her as like the quote unquote more attractive one was really interesting partly because they look so similar like they exactly. could be exactly. sisters I, and it was uncanny yes. when they are next like when they show them in the same shot to be like whoa like this is yeah. weird like they looked for somebody who looked like you know um Pam's, I can't remember the actress's name. <laughs> but then also, I was like, Amy Adams couldn't have been famous at this point, right? So, like, it's weird to think, let's bring in this actress to be a guest star, to look like our main actress. Uh-huh. Uh, and then now, and now, now she's like, you know, a renowned Hollywood star. I don't know. I mean, I, again, when I know nothing about historical context here, but anyway, they also really make clear the shot of her, like, But don't they like that michael like checks her ass out and the camera kind of like shows that in a way that i thought was really like um i don't know i thought it was interesting i felt like it was they were really trying to make clear that he's kind of a scumbag in this episode (laughs) or like or that he's that he's definitely like you know like a like a D bag or something, you know? And yeah. so yeah. they really, cause, cause he's like kick her out until he sees that, you know, she's attracted yes. to him and the way that the camera, like, you know, shoots her body. It felt to me very much like that was one way that they were trying to demonstrate it. But then narratively, all the men just seem like super interested in her. Um, and I really want to talk about that. Cause it made me, I was a little disappointed that Jim like, it, not only is he interested in her but he like you know successfully flirts with her and and takes her out although it you know there was a part of me was like well is she just going with Jim to get away from Michael <laughs> so is this really about Jim and or is it more about just you know like I'll take the lesser of many <laughs> many evils obviously you go with Dwight though right I mean like Dwight's <laughs>
1: You go with Dwight. Tyler. He's gonna be a
0: provider for you. He's he's testing the purses. Tell me, okay, why have her selling purses? What did you make of this whole contrivance?
1: <laughs> so I feel like there's a couple things I got to go back to, and then we got to talk the purses. First of all, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about Dwight and Dwight as a good choice of mate. <laughs> and uh, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna have some good ideas there. But I just wanted to underline your point about them looking so similar because I think that that's what makes his Pam 6.0 thing so biting because it's like they really do look so alike, but they just kind of have like that, the coding of hotness that goes with Katie that doesn't go with Pam. Um, I think partly relies on the fact that they are so similar. And I think that that kind of shows us that code or shows us those signifiers. and Michael, yeah, you're thinking about the way that it that the, the camera kind of shoots her and the way that Michael notices her, and the sort of voyeuristic start of it, the way they use the blinds. Yeah, he, it's so interesting. So he, yeah, at first says, you know, no salespeople in the office. And I think when Pam introduces this, she talks about Katie as a person not as a woman, you know, like there's a person here to sell handbags, but yeah, you're right. Like once Michael catches a sight of her through those blinds, he is like out and ready to go, ready to change course. Yeah, the purses thing. So she comes in, she's got this big suitcase full of purses. She sets them up. Michael gives her the conference room for the day and she sets them up in this massive pile on the conference table to have people kind of come through and shop all day long, which is so bizarre to me. That yeah. I was, was like, like, is this
0: a shop? thing? Does this happen? Like I understand the concept of salespeople and I understand like vendors and like, I remember being in like undergrad and I worked at the student union, you know, and the student union would constantly have people like, you know, set up a table and sell whatever, you know, um, for the day to students walking past or something. So I was like, okay, but the idea that somebody would come into an office, uh, because I was also like, well, why would you spend the entire day there? Like, because people either want purses or not. Although, I mean, people really enjoyed browsing in the, I cannot wait. Well, I'm just going to jump to it. I think my favorite scene is Angela shopping mm-hmm. and she, and what's her name? Katie says like, um, I wrote it down. You seem to like to touch things. Yes. <laughs> and she's like, and then she likes, she doesn't like raspberry or whatever. She likes gray, dark gray, and charcoal. And, um, but I did <laughs> the idea of Angela, like browsing for, for, whatever it was very funny to me. But yeah, anyway, um, I don't know. All I got out of it was, well, having it be purses definitely makes allows them to make some of the jokes they wanna make about Dwight, which I felt mm-hmm. ambivalent at best about. Yeah. And then also it allows Katie to have that line basically where she's like, men buy these purses, but they don't know what they're buying. And so I just get yeah. them to buy the most expensive thing. So I suppose in some way it's a like she should win the salesperson award. Like because there's this whole conversation of like what motivates people to sell or yeah, to sell things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What does Dwight say? He says like torture and sex. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh yeah, anyway. So I don't know, but she, you know, maybe the point is that she's you know, she's effective at at, at manipulating them to buy <laughs> you know, I don't know, but that was as far as I got. I was sort of like white purses, why not knives or whatever? (laughs) I guess it's so gendered, I don't know.
1: There are those, like those knife sales businesses. I think you're right though, that it's a very, that the gendered nature of the product kind of sets up a lot of options, both in the way that they make fun of Dwight and in the way that she sells things um, and the way that hotness then also kind of comes to facilitate and enable sales. So yeah, sort of right. when Dwight says at the beginning, what motivates people to sell sex and Michael says it's illegal. It feels like that nonetheless ends up kind of playing out with yeah. uh, the purse sales. Um, but I want to, yeah. Okay. So we need to get into the characters, but I'm curious. And I guess another thing is, it seems like a lot of these sort of uh, company, like these sort of individual kinds of companies often are sort of run by women and often are women's products. It feels oh, like there's a huge market of that, you know, like of creams and beauty products and jewelry and purses and all of that kind of thing. Yes. But I'm curious, how would you shop in this situation? How would you browse and would you buy a purse?
0: That's a great question. I didn't pay (laughs) enough attention to the, um, selection, you know, um, but it did something that was notable to me was that she (laughs) says, well, since we're on this, she says that the, um, you know, the men buy, they don't know what they're buying. So they buy the high end stuff. Beads yeah. and sequins, and I was like, beads and sequins are the like high end. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I'm not like well versed in in purse uh, couture, but I just was sort of thinking like maybe a little higher in terms of the quality, uh, you know. Um, but I do feel like when she described like a sort of flashy raspberry or whatever, I was like, yeah, I could rock that. You know, I want a splash of color. Um, but I also want functionality, you know, so I would want it to hold a lot. So this like a clutch or whatever she was pitching to Pam for date night, I was like, that's not going to work for me. Like I'm going to need it to hold a lot of stuff. So I don't know if that was what you're asking me, but those are my thoughts. Do you, what are your thoughts on purse? Uh, also, do you call it a purse? Do you call it a handbag? Do you call it something else?
1: Probably purse, but I also don't really like that word. But yeah. I don't call it handbag for I don't know why handbag feels very um, department store or something. <laughs> the way that I don't connect with. So maybe bag. Is there like
0: a third option? Uh...
1: I I don't know. I, it's it's a little it's a little tough. I okay. think <laughs> it. I think the kind of gender dimension of purses is so unfortunate because how can you live life without having a kind of small bag that's easy to carry around
0: yes and
1: put things in yes you know a wallet a phone now that we're in the cell phone days and they have you know they have this. like a cell phone there's some cell phones around at the beginning of this season i just think everybody needs everybody needs a small bag
0: Um, i completely agree and you know what i'm sorry if you're putting your phone your wallet and your keys in your and you're wearing pants and you're putting them in there you have now ruined your figure. Like your butt is going to look lumpy at best, at best. And so now your ass looks weird, or you've got like strange bulges, you know, depending on, you know, how tight your pants are. And I I got to tell you, I like, a, I like them to fit snugly, yeah. you know, and uh, I want, I want to, you know, uh, I want a clean line. And so, <laughs> You know the jagged nature of keys anyway. So, I a, a, a handbag for me or a shoulder bag is is crucial. Um, so I'm with you.
1: There's, I wish I could remember the name of it right now, but there's such a fantastic Seinfeld episode that's about this and about how George like throws off his whole alignment by like <laughs> having a really thick wallet in his that's bathroom. amazing. And so they decide that it, it is actually, the men do need to have purses, but they're gonna call them European carryalls. <laughs> 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 I gotta go back and, and figure out what episode that was. That's amazing. Um, but I would not buy a purse in this situation. I do not like to be sold things in this kind of context. No. I would go look, I, like I like looking at things. Maybe like Angela, I like touching things. I might be a toucher when I browse. I've uh, been in buying, and I've got to say, one moment I was really off put by, was when you look in, and she's got just got this pile of them. Like
0: yeah. they're yeah. all
1: over the place; they're not lined up nicely or anything. I wanted some better organizational skills, but I guess that that's not really the foundation of her um, sales approach.
0: I was shocked that she was so successful in selling. I was like, really? Yeah. Like you know, but but maybe Here's that's a- also the point. Is like, oh, you know, she's hot. Yeah, you know, within the logic Bye. of the show, therefore she, you know, people are just buying stuff because of that. But
1: and were there any women that bought ended up buying purses? I and don't know
0: that we look, see that. Do we?
1: Men. I think we might only see that it's confirmed sales to uh Stanley, Dwight. And is that it? Maybe.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Why um, don't we
1: talk about Dwight? So you you raised Dwight and the way they kind of the way that the joke is on Dwight in this episode, we've got his purchase of what I think is a very sensible black purse. Um, So yeah. Yeah. Tell us.
0: Okay. I'll just say this, this episode had two of my favorite kind of jokes. There's like a particular structure of joke that makes me laugh so much. And um, Dwight has both of those jokes. So the one is when, um, Michael tells him, uh, you know, oh, uh, you, you know, yeah, you can ask her out on a date, but you should know I'm driving her home, you know, and he's like, you know, are you in love with her or whatever, you know, like, um, anyway, but so at a certain point, he says, like, um, you can't promise or you won't promise uh, to, like, fall in love with her or, or, to you know, whatever. I, that joke makes me, because he's like, because Michael, like, won't answer, you know, he's like, uh, and I, I don't know why, but like the way that Dwight says, like can't promise or won't promise. And then a similar version of that joke that I also love is when he asks out Katie and then he says no to talking to me in private or to the date. And she's like <laughs> both. And there's just something so funny to me about the wordplay um, that yeah. Toy gets in this episode. Uh, so that, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that was very funny. And I also really liked, his enumeration of her qualities and he's like her breasts, but they're for, <laughs> you know, child rearing. It's not for me. There's yeah. <laughs> something very amusing about his completely like functional approach to dating is like it, in a yeah. way, like it's not exactly sexless, but it's I'm just like so bizarrely functionalist. <laughs> and that made me laugh. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a kind of preparation for mating or something yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. like continuing the fruit line the thing about those jokes that's interesting is the way that it is about pinning down the language yeah. so you know do you wait what was i now i can't even remember what was the one that, michael the you
0: uh can't, can't promise bothered. or won't promise but i can't remember what he's promising so let me see if i have it uh
1: i think it's that it will be more than just oh, a just
0: home. a ride home yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. So there's that. And one of the other kind of language things was when Jim is kind of psyching him up to go in and see Katie. And he's saying, come on, you're the assistant regional manager. And then Dwight, in this case, comes back and corrects him and says assistant to the regional
0: manager. Oh, I didn't catch that.
1: And so I was thinking about what are the kinds of things that these guys are doing in order to make themselves attractive to women like what are the different ways that they think about I don't know courting or something or like what are the what are the kind of markers of of status and the rituals of trying to attract a woman that play out I think with these different strategies right with Michael and with Dwight and with Jim okay
0: with oh yeah all right well with Dwight I felt like this is just like my, I, I think that I didn't love, I, I really dislike Jim in this episode, you know, I feel like he's, we'll come back to Jim. But because the joke is supposed to be that Dwight is so clueless that he would buy a purse and he doesn't know anything about, you know, uh, masculinity or whatever, or proper masculinity. Yeah. Um, the way that they execute that joke is that Pam and Jim are narrating what he, what they think Dwight is saying to Katie or what they're saying to one another. So as a consequence, we don't actually get to hear what Dwight says. As I recall, like, I don't know if they cut into that scene or not, but I wanted, I was kind of like, oh, it'll be really funny to see Dwight, like, awkwardly talk about, you know, feeding their future children or something, but we don't really see that. So I guess the best that I could say is that Dwight thinks um, showing her how manly he is by like smashing the purse. <laughs> That's, you know, but even that I'm not sure because it seems that would be more like Dwight testing the merchandise itself, showing that he's like a canny um, consumer or something that it wouldn't be about strength or so. I don't know. Thoughts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I hadn't thought about the fact that we, yeah, we see what Dwight does. We don't actually get what he says.
0: I don't think so. But
1: you're right. I don't think that we do, but it really is a display of, there is the display of strength and the bashing it. I like that idea too, about him being a savvy consumer. (laughs) (laughs) He's really asking the right, right questions and testing (laughs) bags. But to your point about the joke that the show is making on him and the way that Jim kind of narrates and does his voice in this really hard to listen to kind of Jim being girly. Yeah. voice, And all of it is, yeah, so like Dwight's going in there on the one hand to kind of fulfill his masculine role, but Jim's whole thing there is mocking him for being, you know, too femme and like thinking about being the prettiest girl at the ball.
0: Yes, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, that bothered me, and it made me feel like, oh, I mean, I don't know how aware the show, I don't, I think, I don't know, I don't think the show is aware of this, I think the show thinks that Jim is like the hero, but I hope that I'm proven wrong in that way, (laughs) but I'm not sure, because when he and, uh, what's his face, Roy are sitting together in the lunchroom, I was like, okay, is the show trying to show us that they are in some sense similar or is it just like it's just awkward silence because and between two would be rivals for Pam's affection. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jim's like mocking Dwight didn't seem that much different from me than Roy being like, what are you gay? Because you're yeah. not interested in Katie. I was like, you know, I, it felt to me like the equivalent of a kind of um, gay panic or, you know, homophobic. I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it does have the same like a real similarity like a like Roy Roy says to Jim what are you gay and it feels like Jim is in some ways also setting Dwight up in order to say kind of the same thing to him right and I feel like Jim is complicated here and let me expose my hand is that the word you say expose my hand show my hand I don't don't know I don't know (laughs) whatever it is but (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you one of the considerations I had for the Dundies. I you're you're making me realize what mixed feelings I have about Jim in this episode, mm. because I can't stand the voice he does and that part where he's talking about Dwight. But I considered giving Jim the Dundee for the hottest in the office award, which we will see is a, an award that Michael later gives out at the actual. Ah. But Because I felt like partly in that interaction with uh, Roy, I think there are these moments, I'll tell you about, I've got several moments where I think Jim is at his most charming here. But one of them is when they're sitting and eating lunch with Roy and um, Roy asks if he's going to go after Katie and Jim kind of says, no, she's not my type. And Roy asks, okay, that's like the, the, what are you gay thing? And well, then what is your type? Because Jim says, no, I don't think so what is your type? And then he gives the list of the types of moms. Yes. Uh, So Jim's type soccer moms, single moms, NASCAR moms, any type of mom, really. And then Kevin says, stay away from my mom. And uh, Jim says, too late, Kev. And I just really enjoy the way that he kind of is messing with Roy there. And Roy- Hmm expectation that just, you know, the the thing that you do is try to get with Katie uh naturally, right? Like if you're not engaged, if you are available, the path to go is to get with Katie. And I don't know. I just I... found Jim's like sort of playful response there kind of enjoyable, as well as the deep awkwardness between Jim and Roy when Pam walks out because she gets oh, upset. Yeah. Horribly, um for the way that he's talking about it. So
0: Yeah. And then we get the payoff of that is really great when Roy tries to make up with her and Mm -hmm. Jim is so uncomfortable at his desk. I thought that was very effective, but okay. I mean, you're, you're convincing me to some extent to rethink my Jim frustrations in this episode, but about the joke around moms, I was like, okay, so is that like, is, you know, like he's saying it, but we all know it's not true. So isn't that also kind of mean spirited in a way? Um, But Roy is the one who says that's disgusting. Like, (laughs) and so, and also, um, so Roy says, are you gay? I don't, he says, no, I don't, or I don't think so. Nope. Um, What's your type, you know? So this is a way of diffusing and redirecting a certain kind of um, toxic masculinity. Like it is a way like and i don't know i mean i feel like I, I i not only feel like i've definitely been around guys like roy in my lifetime and been, been in moments too where it's like i don't want to actually disclose you know my identity or my desires or whatever and so okay you know i can read that scene as like jim kind of deflecting in an, in a way um and uh and exposing roy's own kind of um phobic nature to women Aging, which is, I yes. think, what the momness is about, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and uh, because Roy's like, Oh, if I wasn't dating Pam, but they're yeah. engaged, but it doesn't register to him. Okay, wait, let's ask that question really quick. Why doesn't Roy want to get married? Is like, if if Pam graduates to wife, is mm-hmm. she no longer sexually interesting to him or something? Like, what is What's the deal? That's
1: a good question. And clearly it's been going on for a long time. I don't know
0: what the deal is.
1: Who wouldn't want to marry Pam, right?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, you I- you think
0: they're still having sex at this point or not? What do you think?
1: Well, there is the tub thing. Oh, so yeah, let you, go, right. Well, let's get you into a tub. So I think there's still- uh, on a related note, I guess. He's
0: thinking about Jim if they're having sex though, right? I mean,
1: <laughs> I mean, one would think. But, <laughs> but so one of the moments actually in the show that most uh, made me cringe, I guess, is when uh, Roy comes back to say that he is, to ask if she's still mad at him. And this is the part where she's sitting on Jim's, she's kind of leaning on Jim's desk and talking to him and it makes Jim so uncomfortable But he asks if she's still mad, and she still is upset and mad, but he goes in and starts tickling her. His hands are enormous. It makes her look like (laughs) a ball or something. Like, they're stunningly large. Um, But he kind of grabs her and starts tickling her so that she laughs, and that just seemed so frustrating, because I think it uses this kind of physical response that then sort of silences her or makes it, makes it impossible for her to kind of follow up on her actual feelings about the situation. Like it's a way of eliminating it in a way too easy. And that just kind of goes to the the physical. So I feel like they maybe have the physical uh, part of it, but none of the emotional or intellectual.
0: Oh, that's an interesting, that's really interesting. And that's what she's, she does get with Jim, right? Is like yeah. repartee, they have things to talk about. They have, yeah. They sh- well, I don't know if they share interests other than Dwight, but like they have, they definitely have an emotional and an intellectual connection. And that yeah. does not seem to be the case with Roy. So it's interesting to think, oh, you know, like the, the physicality is there. Although I don't, I mean, this time I thought Roy was not, okay, I don't mean this in like the, um, scene when he's tickling her but when they were sitting i was like oh roy's like not so unattractive i was like he's kind of cute he's all right but i think it's because i just recently saw that actor in something else and it's like 20 years later so i was like oh my god he's so young like um in any case uh the tickling was disgusting and and like (laughs) i just really didn't love i didn't love that but um uh yeah
1: you uh wait what was it you said that took me back though to the thing? Oh yeah, about oh the, the connection between Pam and Jim and it partly being through Dwight. <laughs> it
0: feels
1: like this is one of the sort of uh complicated things with Jim is it feels that in mocking Dwight, when the thing that you have available is a purse salesperson, it's like the the discourse that's sort of available is um you know, like kind of sexist and homophobic, like that's the joke and that's the kind of language that's there and ready. And so when he wants to um, joke, like he wants to mess around with Pam and he wants to get back at Dwight, it feels like that is culturally just the thing that is so available. Yeah. There's yeah. so the parts where he, it feels like he treats Katie in ways that are very different than Michael and Dwight,
0: right? He's well, still, like he's I'm not excited. out of that culture, <laughs> yeah.
1: And you might argue otherwise.
0: Well, I'm I am happy. very excited to talk. I love your idea of like let's talk about how these different male figures conceive of flirting and/or courtship. Um, mm-hmm. So we've talked about Dwight, and I want. I think we should circle back to Jim, maybe in the end game. Um, since he really only comes in at the end and we should really focus on Michael's, but before we jump to Michael, I was just going to, to round out Pam. I felt like Pam, well, but Pam and Jim, first, I love your point. I absolutely love your point that like what's actually happening in the scene where Jim and Pam are mocking Dwight is they're flirting and together. And they're kind of projecting that flirtation onto Dwight and the, and Katie and like Mm -hmm. using them to ventriloquize their own, interest in one another but then also the the kind of homophobia or whatever it is you know sexism I don't know you know is um it's like bonding it like it enables them to come together by mocking this other figure and you know I don't mean to be too strong about it it's it's definitely like around gender norms and stuff like that but anyway it's I love your point because it's reminding me that like that's partly what like like I feel like sometimes we talk about how um, you know, uh hurt, you know, hurtful or prejudice, you know jokes and things like that are only, you know, only cause pain, but they also like actually cause like a lot of pleasure for the people in power and privilege who are like bonding with one another, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel I was thinking actually about your work on humor and laughter as like there's it <laughs> can be a kind of subversive laughter, but laughter also has like a very, uh, strong capability to like reinforce social norms and to like bring together people around those norms. And so, so it's interesting that Jim and Pam's like desire for one another is also like solidified through basically like gay jokes, right? Like heteronormativity needs something else to mock, I guess. Anyway, but, um, but i was just gonna say i was curious if you had thoughts on this because it really struck me that pam and jim describe each other in their like interviews um i think jim says they're good buddies Mm -hmm. and then pam says best friends in the office Mm -hmm. and then like a brother to me so i was just curious if you had thoughts on buddies brothers and best friends
1: Ooh, good question uh, first of all, I think the brothers thing is totally a cover. I think that Pam is narrating that relationship and her feelings about it in a way that uh, tames it and makes it more acceptable and keeps her engagement to Roy legitimate. But I think there's more. I, I think there's more feeling there than just the brother thing, which is why the. Um, like when Jim tells her that he's maybe going to see Katie this weekend and it's just so good about those little facial changes where it's just super quick but you see the face change and then she kind of gathers herself and is like oh cool you know and tries to be positive about it but you can see the way that it gets to her and the way that it disappoints her so I think she feels extreme closeness to Jim but I think that talking about him as a brother is a way of kind of cleaning it up a little bit and playing it down and Pam and I are good buddies I feel like hmm, what is it about the buddies thing I I I like the way that he describes it it feels sort of playful and fun in a way that I that I liked
0: I've been really fascinated by um it seems to me like primarily men who will, dis- or straight men, at least in my experience, who will describe their other friends as a buddy. They'll be like, that's a buddy yeah. of mine or this buddy yeah. of mine did this thing. And I've always kind of like been fascinated by that. Cause I'm like, okay, what is the category of buddy? Like what is like, cause to me, it's such a hokey word. It's so <laughs> tiny in some ways. And like,
1: yeah. but
0: then I have a f- friend or two who are straight women, but friends with lots of men. And mm-hmm. they will say, like, oh, this buddy of mine, and it's exclusively a man that they're speaking about. But it feels to me in some ways like a way of, um, I don't know, kind of like productively using, You know, a, a, it's a gender neutral term. It's not like my boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And like, yeah. you wouldn't yeah. say that anyway, probably at this point. Like, that feels like an older discourse when everybody assumed everybody was straight. So, um Anyway, but but something is also always rubbed me wrong about Buddy, but I can't yes. quite figure out why. Um, and I'm not saying that Jim's use of it is. It's just interesting. Like it's an interesting. Um, Tyler, category.
1: I'm so glad you raised this issue of the. Oh, one. please, yeah. This is opening up feelings for me actually that I'm I'm realizing I really have about Buddy. First <laughs> so, of all, I don't feel like I can say it with a straight face like you sort of have to say Pam and I are good buddies like hey buddy you know in a way that's always a little smiley or a little winky or something like that yeah but you're right that this is a term for friendships among men and I think that there are a lot of people who kind of don't use the word friend and use the word buddy all the time in a way that's serious it doesn't have any of the sort of jokiness to it you know like oh yeah I'm I'm getting drinks with my buddy this weekend or something and it feels like there's something I don't know I always wonder what's going on there in that language difference of saying buddy or saying friend yeah and are friends thought of as kind of feminine or something or it's like the kind of it has the level of intimacy or seriousness or something that's supposed to be for relationships between women and relationships between men are supposed to be sort of more casual.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Get a beer and watch a game together, but not who, you know, share the painful things in your lives or whatever.
0: Right. Which you might do. It might be happening anyway.
1: exactly, Exactly. But it's like the language around it is different.
0: Yeah, because I do think you're right that friend to me, or at least like the avoidance of friend feels like an avoidance of a certain vul- vulnerability or intimacy. Yeah. On the other hand, like when I hear people say, buddy, it's with such great affection. It's such a warm term that I always take it to mean like, oh, this is a close friend or a good, good, it's more than an acquaintance and yeah. it's more than just like a, it's not a work friend or whatever. Um but at the same time, and forgive me, I'm going to use these two words, but, uh, when I was growing up, I can remember people being like, oh, you know, this was like homophobes, you know, saying like, oh, is that your butt buddy? You know? So like, but Uh whenever I heard buddy in that sense, I thought of it as like, oh, it's a, it's like a slur or whatever. And then Uh fuck buddy You know, for a while I thought of as like, you know, this, this is, you know, now I feel like people are, you know, would more use like friends with benefits or um, I don't know, something else, you know, some other my um, I don't know, I'm not sure what the the reigning term for that would be, but it probably not fuck buddy. But anyway, so for me, (laughs) buddy has always had these like sexual connotations because it gets linked up in these other contexts, and yet that doesn't seem on the horizon at all when mostly men use that term. Um, So I don't know when that changed or how, but, but it is notable that Pam says brothers. And I was like, well, a brother, you don't have sex with your brother, theoretically, (laughs) like you're not supposed to. (laughs) So like, that is like a category that sort of like in and of itself by describing him in this way, refuses the possibility that they could have sexual desire or eroticism. I suppose saying that she thinks of him as her best friend could allow for that. But then she says, my best friend in the office, which is like, it's not my best friend. It's my best friend. So I feel like both of hers sideline sexual possibility. And I'm not saying that his leave it open, but it is interesting that he doesn't say it's my sister or my work wife or whatever. Although I don't know if in this historical moment, like work husband, work wife is as Mm -hmm. available as a term um anyway
1: i think you have to do an entire study of of uses of the word buddy that is buddy buddy 101 there's so much there all right
0: let's should we shift should we shift to michael
1: there are yeah there are a couple things about michael that i really want to talk about one of them will be pretty quick go for it this is Early on when he's talking about his magazine subscriptions. I
0: wrote this too.
1: This is one of my all-time favorite lines. I noticed that Mindy Kaling was the writer, the, the main writer on this episode, but here's the line. I also subscribed to USA Today. This is after he's talked about subscribing to Small Businessman. I also subscribed to USA Today and American Way Magazine. That's the in-flight magazine. Some great articles in that. They did this great profile last month of Doris Roberts and where she likes to eat when she's in Phoenix. (laughs) Illuminating. I love it. (laughs) He subscribes to American Way. You recognize that? You know, it's that like magazine that's in the seat back pocket on American Airlines flights. And they do give you the option to subscribe. I don't think anyone subscribes, but Michael does. And there's just something incredibly endearing about that to me and i had to look it up but doris roberts is the mom from everybody loves raymond or not the mom yes mom and uh just the specificity of where she likes to eat when she's in phoenix just a triumph in the writing
0: you noticed this too is small businessman a magazine i was looking to see if it is (laughs) it does not seem to be a real magazine
1: i'm pretty sure it's not (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) because that just made me laugh like small businessman um yeah. but also yeah oh my god the image of him well i was initially like okay does he really subscribe to this or is he just saying this to sound smart or cool like he sometimes yeah. is like oh yeah i recycle in the trash yeah but i think that he genuinely i prefer your narrative where he actually is subscribing to these things but also like because you would lie he would he would try to lie and puff himself up and like no this is like genuinely. Um what he reads, and also USA Today was clearly like a joke, right? That it's not New York Times, it's not the Wall Street Journal, it's not the Washington Post, it's USA Today. Um, I love that. I love that too. Doesn't he bring that up in the context of bragging to her about his decisiveness or something?
1: Oh, I can I feel like
0: that's early on when he's trying to impress her. He's like cocks in the hen house, and then he says, uh
1: it is early on, and I cannot.
0: Oh yeah. He says, them the put point. them in the hall, put HR, cause there's an HR meeting. He says, put them in the hallway, give them some chairs, decisiveness. One of the keys mm. to success, according to small businessman. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, they cut to him talking about those. So yeah. What did you think about the way that he flirts or tries to perform, you know, flirtiness? Yes.
1: It is so funny. And at so many points, so repulsive one of the one of the terms that has kind of gotten into my own vocabulary is the bucks for starbucks (laughs) he requests a cup of coffee and i think part of it is really looking for anything he can do to bond with her in a way that is so off base but yeah she asks for coffee and he says gotta love the bucks yeah it's like a slang for starbucks that place is like a promised land to me. So, trying to find like this point of connection where she's really not that interested in coffee being cool about it using the slang for starbucks but a slang that no one else knows so he has to uh define it which kind of always ruins probably both a joke and a use of slang when you have to explain it one of the things you brought up the issue of recycling and when he says yeah throw it away into the recycling bin and He's talking about the bottles in his car. And so I really want to talk about his car oh, and yeah. his the preparation of the car in order to impress her. So it's a Chrysler Sebring. It's a convertible with the top down that feels sort of seasonally inappropriate based on the coats they're wearing and stuff, but it has a certain kind of sex appeal or something. So he brings Ryan down. I think he describes this as a special project. To clean out his car this is in the old parking lot by the way we don't know that because it's season one but the parking lot's going to change um oh. he he brings him down to clean out his car and i think that this just gives us such good balance on the character of michael because he is trying so hard to be attractive and cool and all of that and he I think his car is just such evidence of his failure to do that and his failure to kind of fit that image that he wants to be. So, and it's just, I don't know, I think it's just full of endearing details. So when um, Ryan asks, he's got all of these empty or partially empty bottles in the back seat and Ryan holds up an almost empty water bottle. There's a tiny bit of water left. And Ryan asks, do you want this? And Michael pauses for so long yeah. over a little bit of water. He doesn't just say, yeah, get rid of it. He has to really think about it. Then there's the bottle of, yes, do you want this bottle of power drink? He has, what flavor is it? Blue, blue is not a flavor, blue blast. Like, oh, blue blast, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and he wants to put the, the bottle of Arctic chill of the other, you know, like off-brand Gatorade in the passenger's cup holder. So just these things that he thinks are going to be attractive, and are just such a misunderstanding of what Katie would actually be attracted to. And I think the highlight of this, for me, is when Ryan finds his bottle of cologne that has almost yes. nothing in it, but it's that little bit in the straw. And Michael says that it's something like something noir. I can't even. I can't remember the car the name.
0: noir. Yeah.
1: The car noir. Yeah. It was, Okay, so it's some designery. let's find out how expensive it is. Please do a little research. I'm
0: looking it up, yeah, yeah.
1: Cologne. And Ryan says, no, this is Rite Aid Night Swept. But then Mike describes it as a perfect smell-alike. I'm not paying for the label. And I love it how he's frugal there, but I think there's something just really interesting in terms of that status and the way that an expensive smell is like the right kind of smell but the cheap version of that smell is somehow cheap and less attractive. Um, and then there's the filet fishes Ryan, how many <laughs> did you eat? And he says, that's over several months, Ryan, which uh, <laughs> just means he's been piling up filet fish wrappers over a really long time. So anyway, I, there's also this contrast then, I think, with the way that he thinks about his car and the way that Jim talks about his, which we can get into. Oh that's I,
0: smart. I didn't realize that.
1: Cars and cars and masculinity. What do you think about yeah, Michael's car oh, <laughs> and maybe so his smart. approach to attraction more generally?
0: No, that's so brilliant. Um, I hadn't even thought of that. I'll just say that Dracar Noir is like $23 on fragrancex.com. Uh that's we could small. get it. Rite Aid has it for $14. Amazon has it for $29. I suppose these are different. Lord and Taylor, $20. So, I mean, it's not that expensive. Oh, that's so funny. I thought it was going to be one of those $200. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's not like, um, yeah. So then he gets Rite Aid Night Sweat, which I just love that. That's what it's called.
1: It, is it Night Sweat or Night Sweat?
0: Oh, I thought it was Night Sweat. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't
1: know, actually. That's.
0: I'm going to look at the transcript and see, oh, you're right. It's night swept. That makes more sense.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely thought it was night sweats. And I was like, oh, that's
1: funny. That's a good joke. Anyway. That would have been provocative in a different
0: way. Uh, Also apparently to Wikipedia in 1991, Dracar Noir was the best-selling men's prestige scent worldwide, but it says next to prestige, $20 plus. So, (laughs) okay. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: So that in itself, I think, relates then to how Michael thinks about prestige. So there's like the knockoff of the prestige cologne, but that in the ultimate sort of scheme of fancy colognes isn't really the top of the line. I think kind of like his pride in his convertible and sort of thinking that the Sebring convertible is really, really cool when it feels like on the scale of cool, hot man cars. That isn't really it.
0: Not it. He, he just like misses the target. Like
1: yeah, he's all, he just misses the target exactly. I, I
0: think that that's what makes him endearing in some ways. Yeah. Is that he? I mean, this is a. I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to commit to what I'm about to say, but it's like in the beginning of the episode when he's like saying, "Oh, cat fight and you know, cock in the hen house and all of this, like. Um, He's loathsome to me, you know, because it's like whether or not he believes those things, you know, he's saying them and it doesn't really matter what he he doesn't seem to really believe anything, you know, he just like does whatever he thinks, you know, normative culture is supposed to do. On the other hand, what's very endearing about him is that yeah like in his attempt to approximate normative heteronormative or patriarchal culture or norms or whatever um he's constantly missing the target Mm -hmm. and and you almost get this kind of like that he's not that committed to some of them he just does them because he thinks he's supposed to so we saw this with basketball and like class always kind of is like this weird thing for him where he's like he makes he is the boss he makes more money but on the other hand he buys the cheap cologne he um what's the other thing in this episode he uh uh Oh, he has a futon. Yeah. And I was like, this is a guy who like went to college and still is like a college guy, like who never realized he need to buy a bed or like nice sheets or things like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he does seem like, yeah, I guess in terms of like what the show, how he represents a certain approach to courtship or whatever, like it is definitely, um, all about attempting to show uh what like power and and um what like material objects like so he buys the espresso machine because she asked for a cup of coffee right like I yeah. assume and then um look at my car and uh I'm trying to remember what else there was um Is
1: that a grand gesture do you think it counts as a grand gesture going out and buying the thousand
0: dollar espresso maker I love it where he's like, don't ask me for it. And she's like, I won't. And he's like, but you could if you won or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to give her an espresso. But this girl he met for 30 seconds. Yes. I guess it's like that pathetic nature is very endearing yeah. to me.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. He's anyway. Um, In that,
1: it's like, he's he's so much more complicated. And I guess there's, I feel like we see in some of these scenes a lot more depth to him than just the kind of surface man that he tries to perform and that yeah. he wants to be. The fact, like the the ways that he falls short in actually being that kind of cocks in the hen house guy that he is channeling in the beginning, I think the ways that he falls short and the ways that he fails it, fails at it, kind of help us to see the gap between yeah whatever his actual self may be, and that kind of image. So I, I, think yeah. you're, I think you're right that this is the kind of thing that does make him endearing.
0: The just do it, um, oops, uh, Nike thing, uh,
1: I have another uh, motto, just do it. Nike. Yeah, it felt like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I was like, yeah, I, I've seen people get that tattooed, or get the swoosh tattooed, and I'm like, really? Like, that's your, life philosophy is from the nike on the other hand like you know i have lots of stupid (laughs) life philosophies pulled from random shit as well but like you know so i'm not saying that i'm better or worse but uh but it is so um like not even cliche he just it's just he just repeats whatever he thinks people um think is cool and so this brings us to the question of what is it that makes Jim so successful as a, you know, I, I get, this is a real question. Like, are we meant to read him as like having successfully, um, uh, what, like won this woman over? Like, is she attracted to him? I do feel like the show, the episode is sort of saying that. On the other hand, to me, I definitely felt like there was a subtext of like, all these other people are weird and creepy and he approximates normalcy. Um, and so I'll leave with him. That's my safest bet. I, so maybe that was my, like, you know, subtext reading or something, but I was kind of curious what you thought of Jim's flirtation, their, their relation. Is she into him? Yeah. what do you think?
1: Let me argue on Jim's behalf here.
0: Please do. Yeah. You're, you're holding the flag for Jim.
1: I'm holding a flag for Jim in this, in this episode. And as I've said, I have some, I have mixed feelings Mm -hmm. about Jim, including in this particular episode, but I think that he is sometimes at his best here. So when he walks in to the conference room and he tells Katie, don't try to sell me anything though, because I'm just here to learn. Yeah. He just, I feel like, is good. His kind of banter and charm, he's just funny. And then his so I found that his, the comparison to the way that Michael views his car, and I think there is this idea about uh cars and kind of male sexiness, and you know, that car like a, a cool car attracts yes, babes, or whatever. Not that we really use the word babes anymore, but um, I feel like Michael would. I feel like, I yeah. think, right? This is like kind of a babe mobile, his um, his convertible. But so when they're walking up to Jim's car, he says to Katie, all right, now I'm going to warn you, don't freak out. This is a really nice car. In case you haven't noticed, this is a Corolla. <laughs> and I am so charmed by that, not only because the two cars I've owned in my life have been Corollas, including the first one being like the turquoise version of exactly the red car Jim has here, Nice.
0: But
1: the way he's able to sort of be um, like play with those ideas about impressing someone with a really nice car and we know that when he says that you know he's not uh being serious about the impressiveness of the corolla but it just i don't know i think it kind of kind of plays with that expectation in a way that is light and fun and makes her laugh and it warms my heart as well
0: what do you think charm is like what makes someone charming
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. (laughs) What is charm?
0: And and is it the same as, like, flirting? Like, is, you know, because I was like, okay, when I think about flirting, I think I feel as if flirting is um, similar to sarcasm or similar to um, irony or whatever, in that you are talking about one thing, but like, you know, that there's this, there, there are other layers to what's being said, yeah. right? yeah um mm-hmm. And like, I suppose, you know, can you, which is not to say that like the other layer is necessarily like, we're going to have sex, but like in his like commentary with her or whatever, like he is explicitly saying the opposite of what is true, right? Like, or, I mean, I suppose like, it, it, don't try to sell me something is, like not exactly the opposite of like, sell me something, but it is this kind of like, I know that you're here to sell me something. Um, I'm gonna call that, call attention to that is the context in which we are talking to one another and I'm going to undercut it. But you of course know that I'm doing that because we both know that the reason that you're here is this like arduous reason or whatever, you know, that you've had a boring long day or something. So yeah. I'm pretending to be like those other people that you've dealt with, but I'm not like that, wink, wink, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: like that to me, I don't know if I would describe that as the same as charm. Maybe the charming part is the self-effacing, like, or the mm-hmm. um, the 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 winking about like, yeah, like my car is, I don't have a BMW. And um, doesn't he say he's best known for something? Like people know that he yeah. knows everything about purses or something. So there is this kind of like,
1: she says something like, don't you, don't you, you sit right out there, right? And he says something like, yeah, that's what yes. I'm for is sitting out there.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That to me seems like characteristic of flirting, but maybe not. Maybe that's just like really funny humor. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Maybe it's that what charms me most is like a kind of self-deprecating and not in a way where it's... Um, like too harsh or too derisive although I like that too but (laughs) fun self-effacing and like yeah I'm able to see the ideal thing and I'm also able to laugh at that and um yeah it's I'm, I'm trying to think yeah how do you how do you define what charm is and it's this kind of I don't know magnetism or something i mean i guess it's another like a form of attractiveness but that i think isn't necessarily based on appearance it's not hotness like the the right. way where the, the way that the episode kind of frames it and being called hot girl um but it's interesting what different versions maybe of charm are and maybe michael tries so hard like is it that he really wants to be charming and is it something that you can I don't know kind of <laughs> kind of pull off or learn from small businessman and then
0: play
1: <laughs> out I I don't know but that's a good question
0: well it would be fun to think about this more as we go through especially as we get into the Pam Jim plot some more but like mm-hmm. it does seem to me like charm charisma magnetism and as a subs or as a related thing, like flirtation and playfulness and all of that, like, they're definitely class, race, gender, you know, sexual norms But yeah. like structure yeah. the form that it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be interesting to think about how that plays against like the show's commentary on those norms in general, like, because in some way, you're right, like part of what what makes Jim effective in his flirtation is also the role that he sort of plays in this show in this world, which is like, yeah, like I work a shitty job that I kind of hate in the town that I went to high school. On the other hand, like, uh, you know, I think he knows he's attractive to an extent, you know, and he's, um, he was a basketball player, whatever, you know, like, so he has some confidence and stuff, but like, he's not, he's not, um, I don't know. Like, there's just something I keep thinking about downsizing as a theme of the show. And it's like, you know, how do you how do you relate to one another? How do you have a relationship in the context of realizing that, like, yeah, this isn't the best, but like, it's good enough. Like, although I'm not sure if that's what the show thinks Jim and Pam are like, because I sort of feel like they sometimes are like, this is the greatest love story of all time. This is the true as opposed to being like, yeah, here are two people who are like, you know, Uh
1: uh-huh.
0: Here, here they are. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Well, I guess that's interesting then, too, thinking about what this situation is with Katie. If, if other parts of the episode are making us feel like the great and ideal love would be Pam and Jim, but here we have Pam going home with Roy and right. um, Jim taking Katie out at the end of the night. Tyler, mm-hmm. I feel like there are a bunch more things that we could talk about, but we are running out of time.
0: Oh man. All right. Well then it's time for the Dundee. Okay. Do you want to you want to go first with your Dundee? Because I you already gave us a little preview of your thought process. So
1: I did. I did. Um so yeah, I'll I will do it. I'm going to give my Dundee for the week to Ryan the Temp, and I'm going to call it the Special Projects Award <laughs> because I just thought he did such an outstanding job coming down on Michael's special project. To help clean out his car and i felt like the um the interaction with michael and the comedy with ryan there was just perfect uh
0: i'm gonna this is a surprise twist um but i'm gonna give the dundee to michael
1: yes um,
0: for the no heartburn award um because he ate all of those filet-o-fish sandwiches <laughs> Uh, but he seems not to have any, you know, any problem doing so. And, um, anyway, yeah, I, I was, I was really proud of him for putting those away. And honestly, I think a filet of fish is a healthier choice, you know, in some ways, right. He's not eating burgers. He's, he's taking the lighter options. So, um, so good for him for avoiding, you know, any, uh, any indigestion or whatever from all of that fried fried fish.
1: I, uh, I am a big fan of mcdonald's though i have not had the filet of fish maybe i need to try it but um this feels <laughs> i was thinking earlier we we're talking about uh nike and about starbucks any of you out there if you want to be our corporate sponsor yeah it's available um but it's so funny all of the like the kind of product placement things that we have in some ways here but none of them to me feel product placement because we've got the filet of fish, we've yeah. got Nike logo, we've got Starbucks, we've got a shout out to Toyota Corolla's, all that stuff. Just just covering some good brands here, including yeah. remind me the name of the cologne?
0: Uh Night Swept or Dracar Noir. Dracar yeah. Noir. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. That's this right. tonight's episode is brought to you by Dracar Noir.
0: <laughs> Please sponsor us.
1: <laughs> Please sponsor us.
0: <laughs> What's the next episode we're doing?
1: So next episode, we are going to season two, episode one, the Dundies. Oh my God. One of my all time favorites, and it will uh, bring together some of the things that we've already been doing.
0: So I'm really excited because I feel as if every time we've done the Dundies and I realize that's only been six, I really don't understand what I'm doing. And uh, (laughs) so I'm hoping this episode will make my Dundee jokes and choices sharper so i look forward to this
1: the dundies will really come alive
0: all All right. right well thanks everybody for listening thank you bye